Happy Mother's Day to our dear moms. Today, let us honor our biological mothers and our spiritual mothers. To our dear mothers, thank you for your love, devotion, and sacrifice. And thank you for being channels of God's love, compassion, and care. May the Lord continue to bless you with good health, long life, and more opportunities to serve Him and His people. We love you so much and we appreciate you. Happy Mother's Day. Today, we have a special message for our dear mothers. And may God's word encourage all of us, especially those who are going through difficulties and trials. Geraldine Mulan is an Irish woman and a mother to Thomas and Amelia. Last August 2020, her husband took a rare day off so that their family could have time together. They had bowling and had dinner together. It was a happy day for them. While in the car on their way home, they were laughing and joking with each other. But suddenly, the unexpected happened. They got into a car accident that plunged their vehicle into a river. Geraldine survived, but sadly, she lost her husband and her two young children also died. And during the funeral, she said, John, my rock, my soulmate, my best friend, you showed me what it was like to fall in love and be loved. I had 10 precious years with you. I used to think I would grow old with you, and you used to say the best is yet to come. My heart is broken. I was privileged and honored to be Thomas and Amelia's mom. I'm just so sorry I didn't get to be their mom for longer. Thank you, Thomas and Amelia, for letting me be your mommy. What do you do when the sweet life you expect turns out to be bitter? How do you respond when your dream life has become an unending nightmare? If you were Geraldine, would you be angry and disappointed with God? Today, we'll look and learn from the story of a mother who also started with a full life that suddenly became empty. In her passage is in Ruth chapter 1, and the title of our message is From Famine to Fullness. I invite you to open your Bibles with me and follow along. The book of Ruth has three main characters, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. But for this message, we will focus on Naomi. And for the outline of our message today, we will follow the movement and the flow of the story. We look at the background, the crisis, the response, the return, and restoration. Now, here is the key lesson for today. God is the Almighty Lord whose loving kindness transforms our famine into fullness. Let's read that again. God is the Almighty Lord whose loving kindness transforms our famine into fullness. Let's begin. First is the background. The book of Ruth is set during the time of the judges. Those were dark and difficult periods in Israel's history. And the book of Judges ends with this very depressing statement. Judges 21:25. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. This verse tells us why the period of Judges was such a miserable time. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the author repeated this statement twice. As a nation, Israel had become morally corrupt. The religious leaders turned their back on the Lord. The people were unfaithful to God and rejected his authority. And there was no moral standard that people upheld. Instead, each person decides what is right and wrong for themselves. And the result was violence, chaos, and suffering. Now, let's read our story. Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1 to 
chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. The narrator focuses our attention on this one family, Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons. Now imagine living and raising a family during the time of the judges, where there's so much spiritual chaos and social chaos. It must have been tough. But then things would go from bad to worse. And that brings us to the crisis. Again, verses 1 to 2. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Elimelech's family faced another problem, hunger. And what they experienced was not just an ordinary hunger or ordinary famine. Verse 1 tells us that it was a severe famine. It was a severe one. Now, famine is a result of lack of rain or drought, but famine can also be caused by war. Raiding armies would destroy crops to oppress people and force them to surrender. Now, Bible scholars believe that this famine in our story is God's judgment against Israel's unfaithfulness. Why do they say so? They point to what God said in Deuteronomy chapters 11 and 28. If Israel turns away from the Lord and worship other gods, the Lord will hold back the rain and send a curse to destroy his people. And because of this famine, what happened next? Verses 2 to 4. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live or sojourn in the country of Moab, taking his wife with him. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. And the two sons married Moabite women. Elimelech made a drastic decision. He loved his family and didn't want them to suffer. So he chose to bring his family to Moab to escape the famine in Israel. From a human point of view, his decision was practical and reasonable. Now, there are several ironies in these first four verses. Let's look at each. First, Elimelech and Naomi are said to be from Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. But because of the famine, the house of bread could not provide food for its people. Second, the name Elimelech means God is my king or my God is king. Sadly, his action failed to reflect that God was indeed his king. His decision to move his family to Moab showed a lack of trust in the Lord. Yes, his desire was good, but he wanted to protect his family, so he acted out in fear. And because of his fear, Elimelech removed his family away from God's promised land and he moved him and he removed them from God's covenant people. In other words, it was a step away from the Lord. And third, Moab was not the best place to go to. Why? Because Moab does not have the best reputation in the Old Testament. It was enemy territory and a land full of idolatry. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, Moab did not welcome them with bread and water. Instead, Bala, king of Moab, hired the prophet Balaam to curse Israel. Also, in the earlier time of the judges, the Moabite king Eglon oppressed and enslaved Israel for almost 18 years. In other words, Moab was Israel's enemy. Elimelech left the house of bread for a nation that offered them no bread. How ironic is that? And fourth, Elimelech's sons married Moabite women. 
God's law prohibits his people from intermarrying with other nations because that would lead Israel astray and towards idolatry. And in fact, in Numbers 25, we read about how Moabite women seduced the Israelites to worship other gods, and God's anger burned against his people because of that. Now, it's impossible to be sure what is Naomi's role in her husband's decision to go to Moab. We don't know if she approved the move to Moab or not, and we don't know if she approved of her son's marriages. Regardless, Naomi suffered from the consequences of these decisions, and she suffered a lot. Now, let's continue. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpha and the other woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malan and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Naomi lost her husband and two sons in a foreign land. She's not just a widow, but she's also childless, and she had no grandchildren, but all she had were two other widows. In other words, Naomi was living a life of famine. Now, if you were Naomi, what would you do? How would you react? You see, we can all relate with Naomi at some level. Like her and the other characters of the Bible, here in Ruth, we live in the dark days and troubled times. There's violence, chaos, and suffering all around us. Locally, our moral values are getting bad to worse. We see even Christians fighting over disputable matters and not giving grace to each other. And in the process, we destroy the unity of the church. And how about globally? Right now, there's a threat of global war that could lead to food shortages, economic crisis, and more deaths. Secondly, like Naomi, we also have to live with the consequences of our choices, or it could be choices made by the people around us. Maybe by our parents, maybe it's a decision by our spouse, our child, our employer, our government leaders, and so on. And some of these decisions may bring us harm pain, and suffering. And third, you may have experienced a significant loss or multiple losses like Naomi. You feel alone and helpless, and you feel overwhelmed and anxious about the future. Perhaps you've lost a loved one or a significant relationship, or maybe you've lost a great opportunity or you've suffered financial loss. So you feel crushed by the pain, or worse, you are now numbed by the pain, either physically or emotionally. And you're wondering, where is God? Where is God in the midst of my suffering? Now, it is not the author's intent to get us to figure out who's to blame here. It's enough for us to know that the life in Moab did not turn out as expected. Instead, the author wants us to pay attention to what happens next. How did Naomi, Ruth, and Orpha respond to their situation? Let's look at this. First, Naomi decided to go back to Judah. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to their homeland. And with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they looked to the road that would lead them back to Judah. Naomi faces a bleak future. She had no relatives in Moab. But then Naomi heard that God had blessed Israel once more by giving them a good harvest. So she made a forced decision and choice to return back to Judah to start all over again. Here we see Naomi taking the first small step in the right direction. She makes the first step 
of returning back to God, back to the promised land, and back with his people. And by making his this, this decision, her journey from famine to fullness begins. So Naomi, with Ruth and Orpha, set out for Judah. But then, what did Naomi do? Naomi urged her daughters-in-law to go back to their homes. But on their way, Naomi said to her, go back to your mother's home. Naomi said to Orpha and Ruth, go back to your mother's home. You see, Naomi knows that her life as a widow in Israel would be hard. Without a husband or a son, there's no one to protect, provide, or care for her. And widows are usually taken advantage of and ignored. And so they end up living in poverty most of the time. And Naomi knows this reality. And so for Ruth and Orpha, being a widow and a foreigner in Judah would make things even harder. So Naomi gave this practical and reasonable advice to Ruth and Orpha. Go back, go back to your homes and go back to your gods. In Naomi's mind, letting them go was the most loving thing she could do for her daughters-in-law. Naomi knew that she'd just add to their burden. And so even before parting ways, Naomi prayed this beautiful prayer of blessing to her daughters, Orpha and Ruth. Naomi prayed, May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husband and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Here, Naomi speaks the first several blessings found in this book. She prays that the Lord would bless Orpha and Ruth and give them rest in a new home. Now, out of their love for their mother-in-law, Ruth and Orpha replied, No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And if it were possible, and if I were to get married tonight to bear sons, then what? Would you then wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Naomi tells Orpha and Ruth, I'm too old to marry again. Besides, even if I do that, if I can, I'm not sure if I can still give birth. And if I gave birth to sons, would you wait for them to grow up to be your husbands? Now, what was Naomi saying here? Naomi was referring here to leveret marriage. According to Jewish law, if a man dies without a child, his unmarried brother has an obligation to marry his widow. God provided this law to keep widows from poverty, and this law also provided a way for the family name of the dead husband to continue. And so here, Ruth and Orpha had a critical choice to make. What did they do? What's, word, what's their decision? Verse 14. Again, they wept together, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But how about Ruth? It tells us, Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your younger sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Verse 14 tells us that Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. That's the same word used in Genesis 2. Let me read that. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The word cleave is the word there, cling or joined or clung tightly, as here used in the book of Ruth. Clinging to Naomi shows the strength of Ruth's love for her mother-in-law. Remember, like Orpha, Ruth was no longer obligated to come to Bethlehem with Naomi. Besides, Naomi already gave her permission to stay in Moab and go back to her mother's home. 
But Ruth chose to stay with Naomi. She willingly gave up the possibility of having a fresh start in the comfort and security of a new home to care for her mother. And to affirm her conviction, here is what Ruth said. She replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Did you hear that? The oath that Ruth gave to Naomi sounds like what? It's like a wedding vow. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Until death do us part. It's Ruth's way of sealing her commitment, not just to Naomi, but also to Naomi's God to whom she had made her oath. Now let's pause here for a moment and reflect on this section. Naomi and her daughters-in-law cried so much as they said goodbye to each other, and Orpha and Ruth insisted to stay with her. That means Naomi must have been a very good mother-in-law to her daughters. Although life was hard for Naomi, she chose to act selflessly. Even in her troubles and desperate situation, she willingly lets go of Ruth and Orpha. She said, go back to your mother's home. Think about yourselves. Don't worry about me. That shows us Naomi's godly character. Naomi knew that she would be all alone in her old age if she let her daughters go, but she was willing to make that sacrifice so that Ruth and Orpha could have a better life. Now, if you were Naomi, would you do the same? Do you have a good relationship with your family members, especially your in-laws? Are you willing to lovingly sacrifice for them for their good? May the Lord help us. Naomi shows the heart of a godly mother. She thinks about what's good for her children more than herself. So friends, if you are sitting beside your mom or your mother-in-law, thank her and appreciate her. Later after the message, call them, call your mom, hug her and say to, say to her, thank you mama for taking care of us. Thank you for your sacrifices. I appreciate you, I love you, thank you. Well, let's continue. Sadly, Naomi's faith was shaken at this point in her life. You see, it was agonizing for Naomi to lose her spouse and children, and now she's about to lose her only family, Orpha and Ruth. And that was just too overwhelming for this poor mother. So in her disappointment, Naomi said, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Naomi also tells Ruth in verse 15, Go back to your gods. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, so you should also do the same. But surprisingly, what was Ruth's reply? Ruth says to Naomi, No, your God will be my God. And that is something amazing. Think about it. Who's the Israelite here? Is it Naomi or is it Ruth? It's Naomi, right? Supposedly, Naomi is the one who should be worshiping Yahweh, and she's supposed to urge others to do the same. But what did she do? She told Ruth, go back home, worship your gods. That's ironic. Again, think about what Ruth said to Naomi. No, your God shall be my God. From a human point of view, that's cr crazy and unthinkable. Why do we say that? Think about it. Naomi tells Ruth, my God made my life bitter and he has caused me so, to suffer so much. Then why would you... Leave your gods to follow my God. It doesn't make sense. Now, if you were Ruth, if you were Ruth, 
would you pledge your loyalty to such a God? Of course, you want a God who will make your life better and not bitter, right? But praise God, Ruth chose to stay with Naomi to follow the Lord despite the difficulties they experienced. And what a beautiful picture of faith. And because of, Naomi, because of Ruth's love for Naomi and her faithfulness to the Lord, God eventually rewarded her in the end. Now let's go back to verse 18. When Naomi saw Ruth, that she was determined to go with her, she said nothing more, and the two of them continued in their journey. Naomi realized that there was nothing more that she could do to convince Ruth, so she stopped trying. And that brings us to the next part of the journey, the return. Verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman, and they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. When the Naomi and Ruth arrived in Bethlehem, it was a festive time. The house of bread is full once more, and the famine has ended, and God had blessed the land with a bountiful harvest once more. And the town was also excited to see Naomi after a decade or more. And verse 19 tells us, when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Now listen to Naomi's reply. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? How did Naomi respond to the women? First, Naomi affirmed God's sovereignty, which is good. He used the word he called God as Almighty. And notice the two names that Naomi mentioned here, Almighty and Lord. In the Hebrew, God Almighty is El Shaddai, which means God is the all-powerful one. And by calling God the Almighty, Naomi recognizes that God is the all-powerful and he is the one who is in full control of everything that happened to her. The second name is Lord or Yahweh in Hebrew. This name is God's covenant name with Israel. And by calling God as Lord, Naomi still recognizes God as her God. But here's the problem. Yes, Naomi affirmed God's sovereignty, but she denied God's goodness. Look again at verses 20 to 21. Four times Naomi blamed God for all her troubles. She said, the Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. The Lord has caused me to suffer. The Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. Can you feel the anguish in Naomi's heart through her words? Grabe ano, talagang idiniin ni Naomi ang Panginoon dahil sa sakit at pait ng kanyang naranasan. And here, Naomi honestly expressed the bitterness that she's feeling. She tells everyone, God turned my fullness into famine. And if you were Naomi, would you also say the same things? When you find yourself going through famine and difficulties, would you view God the same way? Most likely, all of us would do. You see, Naomi voice out what some Christians feel inside but dare not say aloud. When we are in pain, isn't it that we tend to think evil thoughts about God? God doesn't love me. He is not good. And he has forgotten me. Now think about it. Naomi cried out, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. But is that really the case? Yes, Naomi lost her husband and children in a foreign land, and the sweet life that she expected has now turned bitter. 
and that is deeply painful. But on the other hand, God has not left her completely as she claims. In God's providence, the Lord has blessed Naomi with Ruth. Now, would you agree that Ruth is God's blessing to Naomi? You should. As the story unfolds, we'll see what Ruth did for Naomi and how God has blessed Naomi through her daughter-in-law. You see, Ruth stayed by Naomi's side when they lost their family in Moab. And Ruth worked hard to take care and to provide for Naomi in Bethlehem. And Ruth was the person whom God used so that Naomi could have a family once more and secure the future. And this fact is what the people in Bethlehem told Naomi about Ruth in chapter 4. They said, your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Did you hear that? People said to Naomi that Ruth is better for her than having seven sons. In ancient days, to have seven sons is to have an ideal family. Sons are preferred over daughters because they continue the family name and they could also work to provide food, security, and protection for the family. In contrast, Ruth was a foreigner, a widow, and a woman. But the people consider her a big blessing for Naomi, and they affirm that Ruth is more valuable than seven sons. In other words, nakajakpat si Naomi kay Ruth. And I'm sure Naomi realized this blessing eventually, but not during the difficult moments of her life. You see, Naomi's pain has blinded her from seeing God's blessing amidst her famine and suffering. In her difficulties, Naomi failed to see that the evidence of God's faithfulness to her had been by her side all this time. And this lesson is something that we should not miss. Friends, think about your life. Are you going through a famine today? Perhaps it's a death of a loved one or an end of a dream, a broken relationship, sickness, difficulties, or financial loss? Amid your loss and sense of emptiness, what are the small blessings that God has given you that you are not noticing? And in your suffering and pain, what are the little things and who are the ordinary people that God is using to show you and to show his love towards you? May the Lord help us. You see, God has never abandoned Naomi. In fact, God's desire for Naomi was to bless her and do her good. Yes, Naomi felt that God had abandoned her, but God was patient enough to work silently behind the scenes. Let me repeat that. God was patient enough to work silently behind the scenes. And the Lord patiently unfolds his beautiful plan to redeem and to restore Naomi. And that leads us to our next point, restoration. When Naomi took a small step of faith to return to the Lord, God started his work of restoration in her life. Now, how did God restore Naomi? And how did the Lord bring her from famine to fullness? God used two godly and righteous people by the name of Ruth and Boaz. God used two godly people in Naomi's life, Ruth and Boaz, to bring her from famine to fullness. Now, before we continue, let me tell you about this word, hesed. Hesed. This is a key word here in the book of Ruth. Hesed is a Hebrew word which we could translate as loving kindness, steadfast love, unfailing love, loyal or faithful love. Some say it's stubborn love. We can also translate it as goodness, kindness, mercy, and favor. Now let's read some of the verses where it was used. Genesis 32. Jacob said to the Lord, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness or hesed and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now my household has become two large camps. In 
chapter 39, verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love, his hesed, and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Psalms 23, verses 1 to 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Surely your goodness and hesed and failing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 to 7. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. He called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, abounding in hesed and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love and hesed to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. These are some of the use of hesed in the Old Testament. And the words hesed also appeared three times in the book of Ruth. Let's look at this. Ruth chapter 1, verses 8, and chapter 2, verse 20. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's home, and may the Lord reward you for your hesed, for your kindness towards me and my husband. And may the Lord bless him, bless Boaz. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, She is showing his kindness or hesed to us as well as to your dead husband. And that man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Ruth 3.10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed, and tell Ruth, you are showing even more family loyalty or hesed now than, that, now than you did before me, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Interestingly, it was not God who directly showed his loving kindness to people here in Ruth. Instead, God used godly people like Ruth and Boaz as a channel of his hesed to bless others. God used godly people like Ruth and Boaz as a channel of his hesed to bless others. You see, Ruth expressed God's loving kindness first to Naomi, then Boaz. Also, Boaz extended God's hesed or steadfast love towards Ruth and Naomi. And here's the point. God showed his hesed to Naomi through Ruth and Boaz. In chapters 2 and 4, we see the excellent character of Ruth and Boaz. And I invite you to read these chapters on your own. You will see how they selflessly love others and faithfully follow God's laws. And the Lord rewarded them for their faithfulness. At the same time, the Lord used them as a channel of his hesed towards Naomi. Through Ruth's hard work and Boaz's generosity, God provided food for Naomi. And not only that, through their obedience to follow the law of the leveret marriage, God blessed Naomi with an offspring. Chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. Ruth gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. Naomi never imagined that this day would come. But God is sovereign and he is good. And in his perfect time, God has turned Naomi's famine into fullness. In his perfect time, God has turned Naomi's famine into fullness. Next, God also showed his loving kindness by using Naomi to answer her own prayers. When you look at chapter 3, you'll see that Naomi played an essential part in arranging the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. And that is actually the answer to Naomi's own prayer. 
And the story teaches us this principle. At times, God will use our own prayers and our own good works to fill us up again amidst our famine. So here is an encouragement for us. Don't stop praying and don't stop doing good even when you are in a hard place. Let's keep doing our best to honor God and do good to others. Now just look at Naomi. Unknown to her, her prayer would pave way for the birth of Israel's greatest king, King David. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Imagine the lavish blessing that God gave to Naomi. It's more than enough already for Naomi to have a family, to be adopted and, and to be uh, integrated into the family of Boaz through Ruth. And it's already enough, more than enough for Naomi to have a son through Ruth and Boaz. But God, out of his love and mercy, lavished Naomi with so much blessing that the child bore Ruth to their family was Obed, and he eventually became the grandfather of King David. And that is the picture of God's lavish love, his, his grace towards Naomi. And not only that, Naomi's prayer eventually paved the way for the birth of the King of Kings, King Jesus, who is from the line of King David. And Jesus Christ is the incarnation of God's hesed or loving kindness to Israel and to all nations. So what a blessing of God for Naomi. Again, God used the godly lives of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz to accomplish his plans, and that is to redeem the world. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, who offers us the fullness of life to all who will come to him. Now, what did Jesus do? You see, Christ is the good shepherd who came to lay down his life for his sheep. John 10.10 10 tells us that thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. Friends, our Lord Jesus Christ came to end the deadliest spiritual famine caused by sin. And Christ invites us to transform our famine into fullness when we go to him. The question is, will you repent and return to God? Will you put your faith in Christ and surrender to him? May the Lord help us. Now for those of us who are already in Christ, remember this truth. The fullness of life that Jesus promised to us is not a problem-free life. It is a life that we would still expect disappointment, suffering, pain, sickness, and even death. But amidst this famine, Christ's loving presence will be with us. And this is our assurance and encouragement. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship and persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all this, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So praise God for this blessing. Now let's go to the last point, which is the summary and application. Here's our lesson for today. God is the Almighty Lord whose loving kindness transforms our famine into fullness. God is the Almighty Lord whose loving kindness transforms our famine into fullness. Now how do we apply this in our lives? Let me give you these six points. First, trust God's sovereignty and goodness. 
in our pain, let us not forget that God is both sovereign and good. God is the almighty El Shaddai. He is in complete control of our circumstances. Interestingly, some Bible experts suggest that the name El Shaddai evokes a feminine image of God. The root word of Shaddai is a picture of a mother breastfeeding her baby. And it, it's a beautiful image of God's motherly compassion, protection, and care. So dear church, in your difficult situation, remember that it is God who carries you in her loving arms, and he will not forget you nor abandon you. And that is God's promise to us. Next. Honestly express your heart to God, but hope in the Lord. As you experience certain famine in your life, it's okay to express your heart to God openly. Tell your God your questions and doubt and struggles in faith. But you see, God invites us to cry out to him through prayers of lament. And this is something that we can find in the book of Psalms. Remember, God is inviting us to pray to him with honesty and with truthfulness. Cry out to him. But remember, in our grief and suffering, it is not the end of our story. God invites us to look to him with hope and to look to him in his goodness. Why? Because he is the Lord who is the faithful God and he is a faithful covenant God. And his plans are always perfect for our good and for his glory. So let us honestly express our heart to God, but then let us hope in the Lord always. Next rest in God's promises. You see, God is hardly mentioned in the book of Ruth, but we see God's hand silently working, actively doing things behind the scenes, and he beautifully orchestrated things to fulfill his perfect plan, not only in the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, but also for Israel and all the nations. Thus, we have this assurance that God will also fulfill his great purpose in our lives for his glory. So let us rest in him. Next, exalt Christ in your life. He is our Redeemer. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to destroy the ultimate famine of sin and death. Jesus emptied Himself so that you and I could become full. And through His death on the cross, Christ redeemed us by His blood and adopted us into God's family. And so we can look forward to the abundant life that He promised for His people. And how else can we exalt Christ in our lives? Obey and follow him. Jesus is our king. Obey God and follow our Lord. Like Ruth, let us boldly declare, Naomi's God will be my God. Your God will be my God. Dear church, remember that Christ is our king and he is our God. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And therefore, let us surrender our lives, our hopes, our dreams, to our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, model God's chesed and let us be a channel of God's loving kindness to others. Ruth also suffered famine and emptiness in her life, but it did not stop her from selflessly loving others and giving herself for her mother-in-law. As for Boaz, he did not hoard what he had. Instead, he generously shared his blessing to help others and he gave to those in need. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us to be like Ruth and Boaz. Whether in plenty or in want, may we be channel of God's chesed to bless others for the glory of our Lord. Now to end, let's review our application. Let us model God's chesed and be a channel of God's loving kindness. Obey and follow him because Jesus is our king. 
Let us trust God's sovereignty and His goodness. Honestly express your heart to God, but hope in the Lord. Exalt Christ in your life. He is our Redeemer. And finally, rest in the Lord's promise. Let us remember, God is the Almighty Lord whose loving kindness transforms our famine into fullness. God is the Almighty Lord whose loving kindness transforms our famine into fullness. Let us pray. Yahweh, our Lord, compassionate and gracious God, you are slow to anger and abounding in hesed. You are abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. Thank you for your message to us today through the story of Naomi and Ruth. Thank you for reminding us that you are the God who transforms our family into fullness. As we face our suffering and difficulties, please help us endure by faith. Grant us healing and wholeness. Restore us, O God. But even if we don't receive your blessing yet, O Lord, give us joy, hope, and peace, and use our lives to honor your name. Forgive us, O God, for the many times that we have claimed that you are not good, that you have forgotten us. Help us to return back to you and help us to see your goodness in the midst of our trials. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the gift of our mothers. We pray for our biological mothers and our spiritual mothers. Through them, you have extended to us your love, compassion, protection, and care. Thank you, Lord. Help us to honor you as we honor our dear mothers. May you continue to bless them and grant them good health, long life, and more opportunities to serve you and be a blessing to other people. Thank you, Lord. Finally, we pray for our country. We pray for a peaceful, honest, and truthful elections tomorrow. Grant us wisdom and courage to choose the right leaders to lead our nation. Oh, Lord God, help us to look to you and hope in you alone. Lord Jesus, we affirm that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the King of our lives and in this country. Help us to surrender our lives to you and surrender our tomorrows at your feet, O oh God. And when the election is finished, O oh God, help us to submit to the leaders that you have appointed. Lord, please heal our land. Help us to start the process of healing and reconciliation. Enable us to work together as one family, one church, and one country to fulfill your perfect plan for our good and for your glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you again for this wonderful time that we can come together and worship you. Now, as you bow your heads, receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you with his hesed. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his shalom peace. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.